You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises, How to Foil Their Plans to Spoil Your Case. For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com. This is Keith Mitnick, and today I want to just share a story or two, or maybe three, to make a certain point that is of value, particularly for younger or less experienced lawyers. And that is the kind of unforeseen, odd circumstances that are part and parcel of living in a courtroom. I tried a case uh, in another state in front of a judge I'd never been in front of before and really didn't know what to expect. It was a dapper gentleman, liked to take long lunches, dressed nice, and was an interesting guy. I liked him a lot. But we get into the case. I'm suing a doctor, and it's a med mal case. And I got this doctor on the stand who was doing something I'd never seen before in all my years of crossing people. I'd ask him a question, and almost every time I would have him pinned down to something that made him look bad, his response in front of the jury was, there you go again, counselor, trying to mislead the jury. And honestly, mentally, the wheels are going, is that hurting me? Is he looking like a jerk? Uh, Do I run up to the judge and whine, or do I push through? And frankly, I don't have a whole lot of things kind of stunned me a bit in the courtroom, but that one did. And so I just kept going, and I I had my antenna up trying to kind of out of my periphery watch the jury, and when I'd pace back with questions to make sure I didn't think it was, you know, hitting the mark on me. And I'd get him again. And he wasn't a very good witness. That was just his go-to move. And I'd hit him again, and he I'd impeach him with a deposition or or catch him saying something that sounded ridiculous, and here it come again. There you go again, counselor, misleading the jury. And I'd say, sir, <laughs> this jury's listening, and they can decide who's misleading who. Will you answer my question? And he did it again. And finally, I thought, you know what? My gut is it's going okay, but this is really an, an odd situation, and, and I'm going to approach the bench and see if I can't shut it down. Because I didn't know the judge and I didn't know how far I could go in self-help department. I didn't want to get scolded by the judge in front of this jury who you could tell the judge was very popular with jurors. So I said, can we approach? And the judge says, yes, sir, come on up. And I approached. I said, your honor, this guy keeps telling me, there you go again, misleading the jury. Can you instruct him to cut it out? And the judge says, well, Mr. Mitnick, you're from Orlando. You got an NBA team down there, the magic, don't you? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, um, let me ask you this. You know, some referees get their whistle out and they blow a f- they blow their whistle and call a foul on every little ticky-tack foul. And others, they leave their whistle pretty much hanging and they let the players play it out unless something you know really gets out of hand. I'll tell you what, I will call the game any way you want, but if I'm going to call them on him, I'm going to call them on you. How do you want me to call the game? And I said, put your whistle in your pocket. And I step back out with this guy, and within two minutes, I get a there you go again, and I started up back. I said, sir, that's a worn-out story. This jury's about tired of you doing it. They know I'm asking you hard questions that you don't have an answer to, and you won't give a straight answer. And instead, you want to accuse me of misleading. You think they aren't smart enough to figure out what's going on? Keep saying that you're hurting yourself. And I went on a little bit, and we kept going back and forth like this until finally I had him 
dead to rights on an impeachment. As good an impeachment I ever had in my career on a major point. And he said this. As soon as he said it, I knew I had him. And I went for my deposition, and before I touched it, I turned to him and said, Sir, are you sure about that answer? And he said, I'm as so sure Stevie Wonder could see that's the truth. And I pulled out the deposition, impeached him as nasty an impeachment as you possibly could. The juror's eyes got big. I knew at that moment it was going my way. I said, sir, you weren't just telling the truth and you just got caught red-handed. All this nonsense about misleading the jury. Here it comes again. There you go again. I said, you caught red-handed. And I went over on the little flip chart and I wrote S-T-E-V and stop. And then I wrote wonder. And I said, hey, how do you spell Stevie? Is it a Y or an I-E? And he's still yammering. I said, hey, how do you spell it, I or Y-E? At that point, our old judge takes his gavel and goes, boom. He said, all right, now the whistle's out. Time for lunch. And he went for one of his two-hour lunches. The point of that story, while entertaining, has some substance to it. And the reason is this. I got thrown a new judge I didn't know. And I got thrown a crazy curveball by this witness. And I'm not telling you what I did was right What the point of it is, is you have to understand, particularly the younger lawyers with less experience, crazy things are going to happen. You're not going to have all the answers, but have the confidence and the conviction to go with your gut and your instinct. And I knew this judge, had I said, I want you to call every ticky-tacky foul, he would have been disappointed in me because he wanted to see a big show. And he would have been rough on me the rest of the trial, I suspected, and it would work to my disadvantage. And I read in his eyes, whether it was the right call or not for the jury, this judge wanted me to run with it. And my gut went along with it. This jury wanted to see some entertainment, and it already gotten ugly. So let's go on and have an all-out Donnybrook. And we had a happy ending. So the point of the story being that these type situations are going to come at you. Use your best instincts, feel the pulse, feel the judge and the jury, and make those best decisions. Now, I'm going to give you another judge story, a couple others, and then I'm going to be done with it. But they all make a little bit different point for the lawyers that haven't spent a lot of time in front of jurors and judges at the same time, which is a unique experience, and you're having to deal with both personalities. I had a case where a lawyer on the other side, another med mal case, my practice when I'm cross-examining somebody is when I'm making my good points, I'm looking at the jury, not the witness, because I'm using this opportunity to do many closing arguments with the jury, and I'm less interested that the witness is even alive other than they're an excuse for me to do many closing arguments to the jury. I had his defendant on the stand who was a lousy witness and he was taken to beating and this lawyer knew it so he was trying to break my rhythm up and he objected and he said, your honor, Mr. Mitnick's looking at the jury, not at the witness and I object to which I said, of course, you got to be kidding me, judge. I Where is some rule of procedure that I have to look at the witness? Now, let me pause a minute. This lawyer had an odd tick that when he would ask his own client a question, he would nod his head, kind of bob up and down like he was coaching him to say yes. I don't really think he was because he'd bob even when he wanted him to say no. It was more of a tick. But it looked like he was trying to give him the answer by nodding yes. And I noticed early in the trial and didn't care. 
So when this heated moment came up, they didn't have one of those white noise things to cancel it out. And the jury was close to the judge. And this old judge, who was a good judge, said, let's go out in the hall. I leave the room, leave the jury there in the bailiff. We go in the hall. And the judge, to my shock and amazement, says, Mr. Benny, he, I agree. Quit looking at the jury. I said, Judge, you got to be kidding. I can't look at the jury. He goes, no, I want you to look at the witness. I said, all right. I said, while we're out here, though, Mr. So-and-so is bobbing, suggesting the answers to the jury. And, he's, and I knew this guy couldn't do it without bobbing. It was just a tick. I said, he's bobbing. He's suggesting the answer. And the other lawyer says, I am not bobbing. And the judge says, oh, yes, you are. You're a bobber. <laughs> and, and so I said, fine. I won't look at the jury. He quits bobbing. Judge says, that's what we're doing. So we go back in. I finish. Now it's his turn to ask him uh, redirect. And I position myself back because he's got a flip chart up where I'm back behind the jury, but I'm in the direct line of sight of this lawyer. And the judge is to my right. And he starts asking questions and there goes the bobbing. And every time he'd bob, I'd put my finger up. Jury couldn't see it. And I'd look over at the judge and the judge would look at the lawyer. The guy was so out of sorts because he couldn't quit bobbing his head. He quit asking questions and sat down. Now, the point of that story is... Once again, when you get this stuff thrown at you by a judge who is making a ruling that, frankly, I totally disagree with, rather than get frustrated, don't blink, think. And the thinking in that case was good for the goose, good for the gander. And it ended up working to my advantage, not the other lawyers, because here's the end of the story. After that, this guy was so tongue-tied by not being able to bob his head, he approached the bench and said, Judge, I withdraw my objection to Mr. Mitnick looking at the jury so long as he withdraws mine to bobbing. That's simply being aware of the circumstances and going with the flow of the judge and seeing opportunities as opposed to seeing dead ends. The last story involved an old judge who was a retired judge. And this has to do with dealing with a mean judge. And he was a retired judge they brought back in. And he's finally been put out to pasture. They don't let him do it anymore. I got him near the tail end of it. And I walk in, and all of a sudden, the good judge we had in this rural town where we're trying this case is, and I'm suing a city over, it's a commercial contingency fee case. And I was suing the city who had sold someone some property and not told them there was all this gumbo clay down below and it cost millions of dollars to fix it. And I walk in and my good judge isn't there. And here's this old man sitting there. And he seemed nice enough. And we had a couple little chat chat. And then we go to walk into the courtroom because they're about to bring the jury in. And I leaned over to the bailiff as we walked out who was friendly with me. And I said, how's this guy? He goes, he rolls his eyes and said, twilight zone. I said, what do you mean? He goes, <laughs> laugh, says, wait and see. So we sit down, bring the jurors in, and we'd all agreed that if somebody on that panel was a taxpayer in this particular city, they couldn't sit on the jury. And so the judge's job was he was supposed to ask all the jurors who lived in that city, paid taxes in the city, and then we're going to remove them. First thing off the bat, judge, ask all of the jurors, how many of you live in the city of X? Either like 25 hands go up. He then just moves on and doesn't get any of the hands, didn't ask any follow-up questions. And the deputy looks at the bailiff, looks over at me, and I look at him, and he goes, Your Honor, you got hands. And he keeps talking. It turns out the guy can't hear. He keeps talking. And finally, the deputy gets his attention, and the judge, What? Don't interrupt me ever! And the deputy says, Well, judge, you got hands, and, and you didn't get their names or ask, oh, 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 oh. So then he goes back and gets all their names. Then he moves on again. The deputy looks at me like, What to do? He still hadn't, he hadn't removed them. So I get yelled at this time, mean as he can be. So then we move on. Now we've got a witness up who is being not evasive, not evasive at all, but he's a defense witness for the town. 
And I'm worried because this judge is yelling at him every question. You stop being evasive. So anyhow, there's this witness up who's a city manager, and he's a nice guy. And he's actually answering my questions, and he's giving me good answers. But the one thing he's not being is evasive. And this crazy old judge up there starts berating him and yelling at him in front of the jury. Stop being evasive. Answer his question. And the guy look at me like, what do I do? And I mean, he's the enemy main witness. And I'm feeling sorry for him. So I'd ask another question or two. And I'd say, and tell me what happened on that date. And he'd say, well, I would agree so-and-so. And I've about had it with you. Not answer his questions. Stop being evasive. I'm going to make you sit down. To the point, I was so worried the jury was watching this same debacle and feeling sorry for him that it would work against me. I had another 30 minutes of questions and I sat down. I just thought, I can't keep having this poor guy getting screamed at when he's not doing anything wrong. And he's looking at me like a deer in headlights. Like, what am I doing? And he wasn't doing anything wrong. So next witness up is their expert engineer. Now this guy, as soon as I start cross-examining, is extraordinarily evasive. He wouldn't answer any, if I said your name, I'd get an argument about how we were wrong in our case. And I'm smiling inside saying, I'm not even going to object. The judge is going to scream at this guy terribly, and I'm going to let him take a beat. No objection. Ask another question. Get a big lecture, evasive. No objection. Nothing. The judge stays out of it. Nothing. After about five or six of these, I think, damn, I wonder if the judge is falling asleep because he was old and he'd sleep. So I decide I'm going to wake him up and ask him. I said, your honor, with great pride and dignity and assuredness in my voice, because I knew the wrath of hell was coming down on this guy. I said, Your Honor, would you mind instructing Mr. So-and-so to answer my questions and quit being evasive? To which the old geezer goes, Mr. Mitnick, he's got a right to answer those questions, and don't you dare interrupt him. And to which I thought, okay. And I didn't ask the judge for help anymore. And within about five minutes, I got bawled out again because he said I wasn't letting him answer, and I was letting him answer. So suddenly this crazy judge had done this irrational switch, and now his lights were on me. A next witness approaches, and the other side objects, hearsay. And we approach the bench, and I say, Your Honor, it's not remotely close to hearsay. I'm not offering it the truth of the matter. If that was true, I'd lose my case. I'm simply offering it to show notice. I know lawyers do that all the time as a trick to get it in, but this one really wasn't offered for the truth of the matter. And the judge says, let me tell y'all something. When I started practicing law, we didn't have an evidence code. And then it came out, and I read one sentence about hearsay, and then the next 20 pages were all about exceptions, how you could get it in. And it didn't make sense to me then, and it doesn't make sense to me today, and we will not be applying the Florida evidence code during this trial which the other lawyer looked at me. I looked at them. I went back and asked my question. They were scared to object because they knew they'd get balled out. And we got it all into evidence. And this guy would be meaner than heck to you. And there was one diner in town you'd eaten it. And as soon as you get over there at lunch, he'd call you to sit with him and act like you're a best friend and talk about mutual people you knew. And then walk back in court and he'd be back to balling you out for nothing. And the point with this crazy old judge who, like I say, finally got put out of pasture was this. It was an unpredictable situation. The winds changed at a drop of a hat, and it was just a joke. That's why I realized my buddy the bailiff said, Twilight Zone. Well, sadly, and hopefully not frequently, you can anticipate, those of you that haven't tried a lot of cases and plan to try them over the years, you will on occasion, rare occasion, walk into the Twilight Zone. And you've just got to accept 
sometimes you're going to have an irrational judge and the rules are going to be thrown out the window. And the only answer for that is never lose sight of this. It isn't about the judge or the judge's ruling. It's about the jury's perception. And just like when he was bawling that guy out who didn't deserve it, I pulled back because it looked bad. Just like when I started getting bawled out when it was unfair, all I could do is try and get away from it or look at the jury kind of sheepishly and, you know, hope they were seeing how crazy and unfair this was. All you could do when he threw out the evidence code is just keep plowing ahead because sometimes there will not be the rules that ought to be applied and sometimes there may be irrationality. Sometimes a judge may tell you, put your whistle in your pocket. Sometimes you may have a judge who won't let you look at the jury, but he won't let the bobber bob. And all you can do in those situations is recognize it's outside of your power. What's in your power is to continue to have your integrity with the jury and keep persuading them with the truth. And in the end, justice is still within your grasp, even if the bench is a little bit not what you expected. For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com.